Brought to you by Dubois Productions. Hello and welcome back to NO and JB Sports Pedigree. We are back to provide insight on a wide variety of sports topics from NBA hoops. We got the playoffs coming, y'all. NFL football, Major League Baseball, professional soccer, and everywhere in between. And our goal is not only to shed some light on some topics that maybe you haven't thought about or discussed before, but to have a whole lot of fun while we do it. And we hope you have fun right along with us. So let's not waste any more time. I am JB. Your excitement level at the outset was out of this world today, man. That's right. I'm I'm fired up today. I'm in no, by the way, folks. Is it, is, it the M- is it the NBA playoff talk? I, what is it, man? What you excited for? I think for? it is. You know, I think it is. I've been I've been looking forward. You know, I want to say that this year, I probably have been more vested in the NBA during the regular season than I have since I was a kid, oh, for whatever man. reason. And yeah. I've just been waiting. Like I just, you know, and, and we're on the precipice of it here. And uh, you know, I'm excited well, about the other segments we got going on. Well, let's too. do this, man. Since since it's talking about the NBA playoffs at some uh-huh. point in this episode. But we're also starting off with a rule that would change everything. Yeah. How about since my rule that would change everything is NBA related, I kick it off. Oh, let's have it. Let's do this. All right, man. So let me get right to it. And this one was brought to my attention by one Lee Smith, my dog, who he's very heavy into this podcast, NONJB Sports Pedigree. Shout out to him. Hey, The three-point line in the NBA, JB. My dog, he put this thought into my mind that the NBA three-point line being cut into the wing area before circling around to the corner and ending on the baseline. So we're talking about a flatter three-point line. No deep corner, JB, or short Mm. corner if you want to look at it in a more technical sense. The three-point line ending right there in the vicinity, like where the coaching staff and players sit on the bench. JB, the current NBA three-point line is 22 feet deep in the corners. How about it's 23 feet, nine inches elsewhere? Did you know that? Yeah, that's a it's a big difference, of course. <laughs> JB, that's a difference between 21 inches. All you may guess, at, excuse me, as you may guess, more three-pointers are made in the corner, not only due to the, to the distance, but also... When you think about how the game is played, the dribble drive, help side defense comes. The corner is going to be the furthest distance from most dribble penetration, especially when you consider cross-court passes. How I see the game changing if this rule was put into place, the three-point arc more flattened out. Teams moving back to multiple big men on the court together, JB. A return to two low-post players because... What's the point of shooting corner jump shots if it's only worth two points? Not to mention. No need to space that. No need to space it. That was going to be my next point, JB. The spacing issues would become inevitable if teams kept their current style of play. Perimeter-oriented basketball, right? We got four out, we got one in, and sometimes we got four out and one halfway in, halfway out. JB. Got to go back to the old school style of basketball, probably even more so um, going polarizing towards the end of just straight up post basketball. JB, that's my rule that would change everything. People, give me your thoughts on that one. How you feel about it? Personally, I like it. I think it would be a nice because I think it'd still be the culture we got now. I think it's so embedded that 
you're still going to have a lot of guys that shoot threes. Yeah. That's a big part of their game. But you're going to be having to, you know, reinvest in that big man low block position. Yeah. And it so it almost lot be of, like it, a combo. It, a lot of players will become obsolete, though. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Um, I like that a lot. You know, it's funny that I never, when I played, I hated the corners. I never shot in the corners. There you so go. So I would, I would rather shoot further out. <laughs> Personally, I just hey, hated them corner shots. You didn't like shots. that angle, huh? Nope, didn't. Yeah, it's not for everybody. Everybody that's ain't a good P.J. One, Tucker. Man. And that's a, exactly what I was going to say. What's gonna, P.J. Tucker going to do? Um, that's an intriguing one for sure. Uh, I've got one for the NFL that actually came up and I think is – I don't even know if it's in discussion. I know it was brought up. But definitely needs to happen. And that is – to do with the roughing the passer rule. Mm. So why not, similar to what we do with punters, why not have a roughing the passer and running into the passer rule? Okay. Tell me about think it, baby. Of, think about how often you have drives saved from a defensive lineman accidentally swiping his hand and hitting the top of a QB's helmet. 15-yard penalty, automatic first down. Outrageous. So, ridiculous, right? Drive, and it's just demoralizing for the team. Um, completely changes momentum of a game at times, and they're in big spots. So, why not take a look at that and, you know, if it's egregious, you know, you pile drive the guy, you hit him late, etc. Okay, that's a roughing the passer, but... Uh, understanding that we want to protect the QBs. It's all about the offense. I know Eno loves that. Um, understanding that's probably not going to change. <laughs> let's let's be more realistic with how we actually call the rule. And we know it's going to be subjective, but if you include it in potential reviews, like everything else is going to be anyway, um, you know, if you say, again, accidentally touch the QB late, a five-yard penalty on third and ten, it may not necessarily extend the drive. Sure, they'd get another play, but it's not automatic and you move halfway down the field and that sort of thing. So I think that that would make a whole lot of sense. I'd I, Shoot, I'd be apt to propose that as well for pass interference. Um, you know, spot foul versus 15 yards or whatever, depending on how egregious it was. But I like it, it happen man. In NFL. I, I, I do. I really like it. And it gives the refs more discretion to judge intent in the situation yes and, and absolutely. i really like that aspect of it man that's a good one jb yes sir we both had some good ones right there i mean let us know what you think it's folks. an on jb sports pedigree i mean that's how it goes down on this podcast we are original people <laughs> mm -hmm. let your folks know about us man but moving on we coming to another top five segment y'all we back in college basketball, five. even though the season just ended. UConn won the national championship, of course. My hey, Purdue Boilermakers lost to the 16th seed in the first round. So my my season's been over for a few weeks. But <laughs> top five college small forwards of all time. Now, sometimes mm. you get you can get wing players kind of intermingled, intertwined. Of course. In similar positions, just calling them wings. But we separated shooting guards and small forwards. For the purpose of our podcast because we do think there's, there's so a difference many. yeah there's, there's so many, so many that's a good point we want to give everybody their due and um jb um you know how i like to do because yeah. all of these players 
are done playing college basketball. All of my players are done playing, period. Uh, I ranked them. Yeah, of course. So This is hard, man. It was definitely tough. <laughs> definitely tough, tough because some guys that I, I think I may have put on this list, I'm going to save them for the power forward spot just because mm. of the nature of how they play. They, might not, they okay. may not have been power forwards in the NBA, but in college, uh, excuse me, not in college, but they're power forwards in the NBA. So here's my list, okay. JB. Okay, interesting. I'm going to go ahead and uh, just spew out my list real quick. And then okay. you can spew out yours and then we'll talk about ours. Let's change it up a little bit today. So Sounds my good. list, five through one, number five, Adrian Dantley. Number four, Dr. Mm. J. Number three, mm. Mark Aguirre. Mm. Number two, Lynn Bias. Number one, Danny Manning. How did your list play out, bro? Wow, we are definitely on different pages today. Oh, Only for real? One of the same. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so number five for me is the only one that's on your list, actually. Mark Aguirre. Okay. Number four, I've got Elgin Baylor. Solid. Number three, I got the big dog, Glenn Robinson. Yeah. See. Yeah. He's on my. He's on my. He's on my four. My four ah, list. But, see, but that's I figured cool. you'd have him somewhere. Yeah. Number two, I got Larry. Grandma Johnson. Oh, LJ. And I got Larry Bird at number one. No doubt, no doubt. Larry Bird is definitely going to be on another list of mine as well. It, like, just the nature of the positions. Let me, Absolutely. Let me chat yeah. about AD some real facts quick. out here. Yeah, no doubt. And Adrian Dantley, we'll, we'll go back and forth on um, the stats for these players as well. He mm. played 86 college games. He scored in bunches. 25.8 a game, nine rebounds, yeah. almost 10. 56% shooting, 80% career free throw shooting percentage too, man. And he dropped 30 a game as a sophomore. Two-time All-American too. Mm. Um, and he helped end UCLA's 88-game winning streak in 1974. Adrian Dantley, y'all. Uh, who do he play for, JB? Hey, I'm glad that you mentioned Adrian Dantley because I didn't have him on my list, and he's one of those dudes that just missed. Yeah. And – uh I would have loved to, uh, you know, do a top. I could have done a top seven or something here, honestly. Um, yeah. Who did he play college for? Notre Dame fighting Irish. Notre Dame. I knew that. Well said. Uh, number five is, for me, was obviously you said he's on your list. I got Mark Aguirre, the 6'6", 232-pound small forward out of DePaul. He averaged 24.5 points and 7.9 boards for his career. 1980 College Player of the Year, two-time All-American, took his team to the Final Four. 54% field goal shooter for his career in college, yeah, which is incredible. Um, again, no three-pointers at the time, so who knows what he would have averaged had there have been. That's right. What a dog he was on the court. And I'm a, we're going to get back to Mark Aguirre here in a little mm. bit because Mark Aguirre and Adrian Dentley actually had a lot of beef in the NBA days. But mm -hmm. uh, my number four player was Dr. J. <laughs> yep. The ultimate. Played two seasons at UMass. Averaged 26 points per game and 20 rebounds. Yes. Actually. Say what? Yeah, he dropped 20 rebounds a game, man. JB, did you know in 1968, this is crazy, Duncan was outlawed in the NCAA. The suppression yep. of Dr. J. <laughs> yep. Got his nickname him, from him a high school Walton, friend. Right? Yeah, him, yeah, basically, yeah. 
I mean, you know, he got he got his nickname from a high school friend that he actually called the professor. So, I mean, I guess it was inevitable huh. that he was going to be called doctor. So that's how he got his nickname, man. And obviously went on into the NBA and had an incredible career for a lot of years playing for Philly. Dr. J, he was a monster in college too, man. Yep, and he's one that's definitely on our top five small forward NBA list. Y'all go check out that one out way back. Um, number four for me, I had Elgin Baylor, 6'6", 225. He was also kind of a po- positionless player. I had to put him on one of my lists, though, dang it, because uh, in his two years, he led Seattle University to a title. Yeah, there's a Seattle University. He was the 1958 tournament most outstanding player, also player of the year, All-American both years he played, and averaged 31.2 points and 19.8 rebounds for his career. <laughs> Just mm. ridiculous. Video game numbers. Yeah. What a what a dude. <laughs> Elgin Baylor, y'all. Elgin Baylor. Alright, man. It's time to pop back into Mark Aguirre because one of Chicago's greatest as JB stated, he played at DePaul University, dropping just about 24 a game as a freshman, two-time consensus mm-hmm. All-American. As JB stated, 1980 AP National Player of the Year, Naismith Award winner. Oh, and the feud he had with Adrian Dantley, my number five player on the list. If you remember, got traded for each other. That's Adrian so Dantley played for Detroit. Mark Aguirre played for Dallas. They switched it up, and bam, who started winning championships? Detroit basketball actually remember that 30 for 30 with the Detroit Pistons bad boys and Mark Aguirre on the 30 for 30 do you remember what he said man I do not player to player I'm better than AD period wow that's what Mark Aguirre said wow and um Adrian Dantley actually thought it was the homeboyism that got the trade pushed through because Mark Aguirre grew up with Isaiah Thomas in the streets of Chicago and they wanted to play with each other in the NBA. Nah, buddy, because championships mean otherwise. Yeah. (laughs) Mark Aguirre, number three on my list. There you go. Eno's boy, the big dog, number three on my list. 6'7", 225, out of Purdue. Let's go. Two years in college, average, this is some craziness here 27 and a half points a game in the big 10 and 9.7 boards at his position shot 39 percent from three in college just a monster score you know you probably knew this but i didn't he has the highest career points per game average all time in the big 10 yeah two-time all-american player of the year in 94 um got got purdue to the elite eight Against, uh, I believe that was a Duke game. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I had no idea he was that prolific. I knew he could get buckets, so yeah, he dropped 30 a game, 30 and 10. His sidekick, you know, it, and he was a four at Purdue, but I can understand because he played three most his uh, most of his NBA career, excuse me. Why yeah, you would put him at that position, you yep. know, at Purdue, you know, you had Porter Roberts, who was a small point guard, Waddell was a shooting guard, and then the great, the great. Conzo Martin was the three man at Purdue, but it's something, you know, it's very close position wise because a lot of times you would take one of those smaller guards out of the game and put him in at the three and you would have two bigger bodies on the court, especially um, later in the season against those big 10 squads. But uh, yeah, Purdue, that Purdue team could have won it all. Like a lot of Purdue teams could have won it all. 
Mm. We'll just end it at that, man. It's fair. My number two small forward on my all-time college basketball list, Lynn Bias. Mm. Unfortunately, had a cocaine-induced heart attack that ended his life mm. early. I think Sad. it was the day after he got drafted, two days after he was drafted, second pick overall, Boston Celtics. Yep. So he's another one that's uh, <laughs> in a different position on my list. Yeah, well, it, it happens like that sometimes. So, you know, his college career was the end of his book. You know, he played four years at Maryland all the way through his senior year, dropped 23 games as a senior. This dude. He really could do a little bit of everything. I've watched a lot of film on him because, you know, his story was so widespread. He was a creator, jump out of the gym. His speed was top notch, considered to be a bit ahead of MJ as it pertains to his level of excellence on the court at that time. You know, but it is what it is, though. You know, he had a great college career and he's a legend, even though um, he left us far too soon. Lynn Bias. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent player. As is the number two on my list, which, you know, again, uh, people could also list him at, a, at the four. He played both, I think, and really played both in, at the next level, too. Larry Johnson, 6'6", listed at 250 pounds. Dude was solid brick muscle out of UNLV where he played two years, won a title, and a player a year, nearly won back-to-back titles in his two years. Obviously on a great team, but Larry Johnson was the true all-star athlete, uh, just a freak of nature. 21.6 points a game, which is second all-time in the conference, and 11.2 rebounds per game is first all-time in the conference. Larry Johnson shot 64% from the field in two years of playing at college. Jeez. That's crazy. I know that's a lot of dunks on people's yeah, heads, but know, folks, man. people forget he could shoot it a bit too. He shot thirty-five percent from three in college, which is definitely we'll, respectable. We'll give, we'll give him that. Yeah. So <laughs> there's number two right there. He has a one beast on the team. Grandma, Greg Anthony, Stacy Ogme used to get it done. Oh too. yeah, yes they man, did. Number one on my list, man. Six ten wing out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, the nineteen eighty-eight, excuse me, most outstanding player of the Final Four, Danny. Manny, Danny Manny played for Rock Chalk, Jayhawk. Y'all might be hearing him again on my list. <laughs> Different position again. <laughs> hey, it's becoming a bit of a theme here. Three-time yeah, Big Eight week. player of the year. That's the early Big 12, y'all. He could face you up, take you into the post. Had a lot of facets to his game. Dropped 31 and 18 in the national championship game. Career 20 and 8. Dang. Shot basically 60% during his four-year college career. Actually had that bad injury during his rookie year. I think he tore his ACL playing for the Clippers. Or else you may have heard his name among the greats of all time. Danny Manning, y'all. Mm, yep, because back then, you really... Uh, those knee injuries really took you out. You know? yeah, he never did. was the same, I don't think. Danny Manning. All right, and number one on my list as, again, a lot of people may have had him in a different position, it's the great Larry Bird. 6'9", 220 pounds out of Indiana State University where he played three years and averaged 30.3 points a game, 13.3 boards, 4.6 assists, and what people forget a lot about is his defense. 
He averaged 2.6 steals a game as well, which is pretty big time. Um, 53% shooter. Just an unreal player. All-around talent. Multiple first-team All-American selections. Uh, really could have won multiple players of the year. We all know. Yeah. Um, got got Indiana State on the map. Took them to the title game where they lost against the Sparties. <laughs> the Sparties. The Sparties. <laughs> And Magic, uh, and of course that rivalry began. Um, just all-time great, of course, at every level. Larry Bird, number one on my list. Yes, sir. College small forwards. And there it is, y'all. Top five college small forwards of all time. On NONJB Sports Pedigree, we will have power forwards from you soon. But guess guess what, fun, y'all? Man. One thing, excuse me? That's fun. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is fun. And, and one thing that we've learned from these lists is that these players are so great that they're really positionless mm. getting getting into the wings the small forward especially small forward power forward combination because some of them played one position in college one position in the nba and exactly they, they really played on a perimeter to where it's like you could put larry bird as a shooting guard really all the way up to power forward like it's these players were <clears throat> so versatile so that's I had why to, um you know if i'm being honest i had to actually write out i had to go ahead of the game and actually look at every position and kind of do a top five because I felt like I might leave a guy off here or there because of that, because yeah. there's so many different um, positionless players. So, there you go. Yeah. All right, man. There you go. What personal you got for your segment personal time. segment today, man? Well, <laughs> switching gears completely. Um, I know y'all can't see me. Maybe you can hear the exasperation in my voice. Uh, just a giant shake my head for... Chelsea Football Club and their ownership group. Um, everybody knows that's my my team. I love soccer, and I so new owner Todd Todd Bailey from I believe he owns the Dodgers. Majority owner came in, bought the club um, late, well mid late last year, um, and almost immediately fired Thomas Tuchel, who is a pretty beloved manager. Um, won a Premier League championship, won a um, Champions League title with Chelsea. The, the team wasn't playing great, but, uh, you know, there had to be some other stuff going on. Anyway, fires him, brings in Graham Potter, and spends like $600 million on players, and the team has been subpar all year. And less than a year into really like half of a year, fires that manager that he just hired. Like, what are we doing? So, so, you know, the team is just m- mired in mediocrity with all these really t- talented young guys. They can't seem to get any goals scored. Um, they've had injury struggles. It's like one thing after another. And, you know, I, I was very frustrated with the manager, but to not even give the guy an entire year with healthy players, it's like, you know, I, I hate setting that precedent. So now... Where do we go? We've got Frank Lampard, who's a former manager, uh, former all-time great player, probably on an all-time starting 11 for the team and maybe for the country of England as a midfielder. Um, he's a decent coach, you know, and he, he knows the club. So he's back on an interim basis for the remainder of the year, which is weird. I've never seen someone hired as an interim. Typically, it's a guy that's like already in, with the team or something, but... So he's going to fill in till the end of the year, and then I guess, you know, 
see if maybe they rehire him or if they're going to bring the guy uh-huh. that used to coach Bayern Munich, which is where Thomas Tuchel is now. So, yeah, I just big old shake my head, head scratching, really frustrated with uh, the direction of the American ownership group that's taken over the team. So, hopefully we win the really we're going to have to win the Champions League to be able to play in Europe next year because they're just way too far out of it already for the Premier League. Well, I hope you boys get it together, man. Sounds like rough <sighs> yeah. times for your squad. And um, I know you're going to keep us abreast of what goes down with that, JB. Yep, of course. But as we move along to my personal segment, JB, 2023 UConn basketball is tangible, living, current proof mm. that a legit argument can be made that says it is tougher to win a conference championship in a power six conference than it is to win the national championship. First mm. off, Connecticut JB finished tied for fourth in the Big East. A very wow. mortal 13 and 7 in the conference, barely 500 on the road. They lost in game two of the conference tourney to top seed Marquette. They had JB a full week, seven days of no games leading up to the NCAA tournament. Mm. And as I've talked previously about the value of getting rest before the big dance, this takes precedence, JB. Let's go back, though. They also had a stretch in January where they went 1-5, three double-digit losses, including an 11-point home loss to the St. John's Red Storm. JB, this is the national champions that I'm talking about. They almost dropped out of the top 25 in January. Number 24, just hanging on. The NCAA tournament is proof that it's about who gets hot at the right period. Yep. The Huskies ran through the tournament with zero close games. None single digit. What an amazing turnaround. And the need to put more respect on conference champions' names even if they don't win the national championship, y'all, because this argument can be made. How you feel about it, man? Yeah, you right on, man. That's some very solid points. I think uh, it's all about matchups. And you don't have to play Health. road games in the NCAA tournament. Everybody's you don't, on the road. Everybody you know? is in a neutral site. You have to win road games to win your conference uh, tournament, to win your conference I, I regular season. I think your season, point about me. them going through their – we talk about the growing pains and them actually learning from it. Yeah. That, that to me, that's some great coaching too, I think, and, and utilizing those those down times to, to learn from them. They I mean, did, think you know, about they it. They could have went a into one the in tank, five right? stretch. One in yeah. five stretches sometimes mentally tear a team yeah. apart. Exactly. Right. One so in they, five is that's a that's a couple weeks of losing. Yes, it is. And they so they took that. And they turned it around for their favor. Now, I don't know if were there any injuries or anything that played a role or, you know, that's a good conference. I mean, I think the Big East was also highly underrated. Um, how many teams? What they get? Six teams, five teams in the tournament, six maybe? Something like that. And uh, they, they all performed pretty well. So, yeah, man, I, you're you're absolutely right. That's what's up, JB. Now, uh, switch stick with some basketball, and, uh, yeah. yeah. NBA playoff preview, JB. I'm going to go. give a quick Eastern Conference preview. Okay. Uh, as we stand here, going into the playing games, we got 
Miami, Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago. The Heat are mm-hmm. solid defensively, but really don't have a lot of offensive firepower. Now, Atlanta can score, but they can't stop a nosebleed. <laughs> Toronto exactly. and Chicago. Opposite. <laughs> Toronto and Chicago don't excel particularly well in any area. Now, Miami is the one team to me out of the playing squads who could give somebody a tough first round series because they mm-hmm. have some versatile defenders and, and guys who can get hot. Now, top six wise in the East, Brooklyn's new look is one that could give Philly fits in the first round because their big three, Ooh. Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Johnson, and Mikael Bridges, dudes are all tough to defend and teams are still trying to figure out how to defend them. Like the Knicks. Good point. Yeah. The Knicks, you know, they had a recent injury to Julius Randle. Ankle got twisted up pretty bad, but they actually look better after his injury. You know, Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, they can all go, no doubt about it. I mean, they play faster. Obviously, they have R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, and Mitchell Robinson a rebound. The Knicks might be seeing a future right now with Randall out, to be honest. Now, the Cavs are by far the best defensive team in the Eastern Conference. They give up 106 a game, uh, exceptional guard play, a rising star in Evan Mobley, and rim protection in Jared Allen. Now, got to have a consistent bench to win in the NBA playoffs. I don't know if Kyrus LeVert can be that sixth uh, you know, man scoring option that you can really count on in the playoffs. And then you got Seti Osman and Isaac Okoro. They're good, but the Cavs, they struggle to score outside of Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, and, and uh, Mobley, mm-hmm. Evan Mobley. So, you know, we'll we'll see how they do in the playoffs. Philly is banking on MB to carry him to the promised land. Good luck with that. That's pretty much all I got to say about them. I don't really see the killer mentality <laughs> on that squad outside of maybe Tyrese Maxey and P.J. Tuck, yeah, like Tucker Maxie. to an extent. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we'll see what Philly does in the playoffs. Same with Boston. To be honest, I don't think they have killers. And it's really deep between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They're not clicking like they should be. Team that went to the NBA Finals, been playing together for a few years. You would think that they would be closer than what they are. They're not. Marcus Smart, he works hard. Al Horford battles. You know, but the two stars got to be 100% on the same page in the playoffs. Point blank, period. Now, obviously, we say the best for last. The key to Milwaukee is being at full strength or not. They will right. run through the East if healthy. Period. Chris Middleton. But Middleton, mm, yeah. Still questions, right? But if he's healthy, they just too much. I mean, you got Giannis, Drew, Chris, Brooke, Bobby. Bobby. I'm, I'm saying their names like I know them. That's that's Giannis uh under the Kumpo, y'all. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton. You know, I mean, when you start talking about dudes like Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen, when they're hitting their shots, extremely unbeatable, y'all. There's your Eastern Conference preview. Well done, sir. I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, give you a little bit of the West. Now, the Let's West, interestingly enough, with like one game left to play, which is where we're at when we're recording this, is... Uh, Still up in the air with the seating, basically five through nine, because everybody's so tight. But I think we think we know uh, where teams are going to finish up. So we'll just we'll just go off of that and we'll start from the bottom there with the OKC locking up a spot at ten with an average age of their roster under twenty three years old. 
So wow. there's a lot to look forward to in the future there, I think, with that Thunder team. They're going to be matching up with the Timberwolves at nine. Then we got the Pelicans and Lakers. And I just want to say, the Lakers have been a huge surprise. Um, to me, when LeBron was out is really when they kind of gelled. If you look at the Los Angeles yeah. Lakers since the trade deadline, they have the best record in the Western Conference and the number one defensive field goal percentage in the Western Conference. So nobody wants to play them right now. They're going to match up with the Pels, it looks like, in the play-in. Um, and I think they could certainly give some teams trouble in the first round. I think the Pelicans could too if they were healthy. And uh, as we've heard, Zion Williamson is now out for the play-in round. So um, Man, who knows? Zion. It, it maybe. Who knows if yeah. and when he comes back and what that even looks like. Timberwolves probably need to get some help for Anthony Edwards, if we're being honest. I'm not sure if that squad is really um, built to be successful in the long run, but congrats on making it in. Then matchup-wise, as we look ahead, right as we sit now, we've got Kings Warriors. And let me tell you, congratulations to the Kings for the years year that they had. Um, longest playoff drought streak in sports ended this year. Uh, Coach of the year, Mike Brown. Excellent um, all-star players and De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. Um, deep squad. They can score. They really can. But what do they get for all that? They get to play the defending champion Warriors, who are now about to be healthy in the first Warrior, round. Warriors in five minus one. Right. So, uh, sorry, sorry, Sacramento. Um, Warriors getting getting healthy at the right time. We'll see how long it takes Wiggins to get back going. And as No and I have stated on this show, that's really the key for them. Um, if they're fully healthy, they're scary. And again, you know, so I'm looking at honestly the Western Conference at the six and seven seeds. Warriors and Lakers are the teams that nobody wants to play. Uh, matchup in the middle, you're going to have likely the Suns Clippers. Everybody's looking at the Suns as the favorite. And I'm just not sure. Uh, you know, I don't think they've had enough time together. Is KD going to stay healthy? Unfortunately, the past couple years, he's had a lot of injuries. Same with Chris Paul. So not only that, can they defend um, when they when they match up with other teams down the road? So Suns Clippers, if Paul George is not healthy, you know, it's probably going to go the Suns way in the first round. Um, looking like the Grizz may end up getting the Lakers, which... Now without Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, who's going to match up with Anthony Davis? <laughs> That'd be my question. Um, so that series could be very interesting. Nuggets, congrats for you know getting the top seed, but not sure that they're really scaring anybody. They're only 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games at this point. And um, yeah, to me, until Jokic does it in the playoffs, it's going to be hard for me to really respect him as an MVP regardless of how the votes go. And, you know, the Pelicans could play with them. There's no reason they can't. So, I don't... If, if Nuggets get past the first round, I'd honestly, I, I'd be surprised if they get past the second round. So, there you have it in the West. I'm going to make a bold prediction. You, Here you, we go. You're going to be surprised about this one. Lakers don't match up well with Memphis. The Lakers, mm. the Lakers don't match up well with Memphis. This faster Memphis 
with Jaron Jackson. Oh, Jaron Jackson, I promise you, he can match up with Anthony Davis. Jaron Jackson, I yeah, good call the, on him. He is the, a stud. The, the Lakers, the Lakers need to drop to the eighth seed and play Denver. They yeah, don't I was ma- they say. don't match up well with Memphis. <laughs> they just don't. Mm. They they well, too big. They happen. too big and slow. They don't match up well with Memphis. It absolutely could happen. But anyways, that was solid, JB. Got some definitely got some good matchups, man. Even you know the Clippers too, man. The Clippers are a team that uh, even without Paul George, man. Paul, I mean, to be real with you. Norman Powell gets to hoop when Paul George doesn't play. That's Russell, true. Russell Westbrook gets to make that team fast. See, Russell Westbrook brings a different dimension to the Clippers than they've had in a long time. A fast point guard, and he actually fits with them. I think mm-hmm. the Clippers can make a run without Paul George. That's just me. It'd be interesting. Like that, that first round series, if it ends up I mean, up if, being if it ends sons, up being Phoenix against the Clippers. Could be going seven. Yeah, right definitely there. a toss up, man. Toss up to me. I could see either of those teams winning that series. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, JB. Excited. All right, starting up this week, and uh, I'm also excited for the best segment in sports podcast history. Sports dichotomy, y'all. Let's go. JB and I go back and forth asking yes or no questions, and we get quick answers, quick responses, and then we move on to the next question. We hope y'all play along with us because, listen, please do. this is current events, and we always come up with some off-the-wall questions in this segment. Mm. JB, I'm going to kick it off. Let's go. And we actually already talked about this a little bit. Zion Williamson <laughs> won't make it back in time for the Pills playing game. They are better off without him anyway. At this point, yeah. I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the NBA's decision to make a minimum 65 games played to win any major awards is a good one and may actually impact some load management decisions moving forward. We'll say yeah. I hope so. Of course. Lamar Jackson will eventually be traded. Oh. We'll say yeah. Okay. Let's go out on that. A 5v4 possession or fast break for a fouled team in basketball rather than free throws may be cool to experiment with. No, not trying to see that nonsense. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's not me. I'm traditional when it comes to stuff like that. The, the Elam ending, keep, keep that. Elam, keep that for yourself, man. The Mavs <laughs> tanked to protect their draft lottery position. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Clay Thompson stated that he sees nobody that can beat the Warriors in a seven-game series when healthy. Inno agrees. Well, when you look at your hand and you only got one finger that doesn't have a ring on it, how can you not be that confident? Of course I agree. Mm -hmm. Cam Newton gave a list of who he wants to back up as a QB. (laughs) He's justified in doing this. Uh, no. Better be trying to make <laughs> what the team, man. What are you man. talking about, bro? What it, is that? Cam, Cam, come on, Cam. I'm like, come on, my brother. Oh, man. Uh, just, Aaron, just Judd, Aaron Judge will have another amazing season in 2023, but will not win the MVP. Yeah, it's tough to win it like that. Yeah, like that. We're going to say, yes, he will not okay. win it. Green Lodolo Ashcraft. Best top three of any NL pitching rotation. Yes. Oh. Or will be. Okay. 
N.O. knew that Hall of Fame outfielder Tony Gwynn is the all-time assist leader at San Diego State in basketball. Yeah. Got it done on the court. If FAU didn't lose on that buzzer beater to San Diego State, speaking of the Aztecs, Mm. they could have beat UConn. I don't think so. No, another double-digit victory. Yeah. Uh, Major League Baseball game times are down 25 minutes on average from 2022. Batting average up about five points. Stolen bases up. This all means the rule changes have been a good thing. Yeah, this all means nothing. No. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't mean anything. Like, who said shorter games necessarily mean something better? Y'all, that's weird. (laughs) <laughs> Phoenix is undefeated with KD playing. This makes them the favorite in the West. I don't think so. No. Nah. I, I mean, I'd have to look at more, you know, who they played. And, man, there's people resting. Anyway, um, the Dallas Mavericks, sub 500 with Luka and Kyrie playing together is a failed experiment. But it's actually more Luka Doncic's fault. Kyrie got championships, y'all, at least one. Of course, it's more Luka's fault. With all the conference realigning in college sports, the Pac-12 will be the first major conference to become null and void, obsolete. Yes. Okay. I think so. The Reds' trio of young starters could potentially rival anyone in the bigs. We don't script it, (laughs) y'all. Of course. Caleb Love, transferred from North Carolina mm. to Michigan. Jawan Howard is the best coach available for him. No. I don't think so either. <laughs> Dame I mean, will likely... star recruits and they didn't even make the tourney, but I ain't going to yeah, say Yeah, like, that. what are they doing? Yeah, exactly. Big 10. Dame will likely never ask for a trade or sign elsewhere. So the Blazers need to do him a favor and let him go for their own sakes to rebuild as well. Uh, I'm going to say no. Okay. Jill Biden. Jill, the wife, suggested the NCAA women's runner-up Iowa should be invited alongside LSU to the White House. This would have been a participation trophy. Absolutely. Why? What? Uh, UConn's tournament run was one of the most dominant that we have ever seen. Might have been the most dominant, man. They didn't listen, man. Let me let me vent real quick, man. I, mm-hmm. I was watching a first round game against Iona. Iona led against them at halftime. And since that first half of the first round game against the 13 or 14 seed, nobody, I mean nobody played them better than Iona played them in the first half. Mm-hmm. Not even close. It's crazy to think. Anyways, my last one, JB. My final sports dichotomy question. Bronny James will end up choosing the Ohio State over USC and Oregon. Those are his final three. Probably. Okay. I mean, shout out to the Big Ten. It's yeah, that's tough. I, I guess though, I guess either way, USC shout out to the now. Big Ten. Hey, there you go. <laughs> that's crazy, man. <laughs> I can't even make sense of that. I've actually got two more, if that's all right. Let's uh, do it. It makes more sense for a young kid who is like looking to play professional basketball to go to the G League instead of college for one year? Yes. Mm, that's a tough one. 
Um, it also makes sense that Angel Reese was criticized for doing the You Can't See Me while Caitlin Clark was celebrated. Uh, that'll be a no. Final Four. <laughs> I already knew the answer. And you about to talk to about that one. that one a little bit more. I and had JB's a, just I had those, a feeling but, um, that that was going to be a segue. Yeah. So. Sports Dichotomy. We, we just had a feeling. Got it done today at Sports Dichotomy. JB, you know, just because mm-hmm. I wanted to give you some time for this yeah. question right here. We skipped uh-huh. the we skipped the personal question today. Oh Just wow! Just skipped right to it. JB, let's get to it. JB, let's tie the knot and and finalize the Caitlin Clark Angel Reese situation. The question everybody's been talking the situation everybody's been talking about near the end of the women's national championship game, with the actions leading up to what happened there at the end of the game, taking into account. What it's like being in the heat of battle, JB, was this more of a sportsmanship issue, race issue, or whiny emotional fans whose team didn't win issue? We're talking about all the comments, all the reactions to <laughs> Angel Reese, you know, saying that you can't see me putting, you know, pointing to her finger saying she's about to get a ring. Is it more of a sportsmanship issue, race issue, or whiny emotional fans whose team didn't win we're going to keep it simple, JB. We know people try to make it about all three, but how did JB start to see the situation? And we're going to start the timer now. Well, firstly, I saw it as race just okay. when all the comments came out initially because Caitlin Clark is white, Angel Reese is black. Um, and that was my first reaction. You know, they're doing essentially the same thing, and yet. One of them is like applauded almost, or, you know, it's like, it's cool, you know? Mm. And then Angel Reese is of course ridiculed and, um, called, I I can't remember some of the the words that they used. Yeah. But so, so so, it didn't matter that Caitlin Clark did hers towards the bench and Angel Reese did, it didn't, none of that mattered. Right. No, of course not. And and the whiny fans is, is of course another one too that I think is a, a big deal. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I did hear an argument that, um, Angel Reese did it while, you know, having secured a title and won it uh, by double digits and all this other stuff, and that that is kind of unprecedented, which I don't think is factual. Number one, I'm sure that it's happened before in similar fashions. But we also don't know, we don't know what was said during the game. Uh, we don't know what other commentary has been had, even off the court, potentially between between players. Yeah. You know, and, and similar to awesome, the best of the best athletes, I'm sure that they've crossed paths before. You know, whether it be in AAU growing up um, or in other games. So they know who each other is. I'm sure they've had conversations. So, um the thing is, though, it seemed to me after the fact that it wasn't even necessarily a personal thing. It was kind of what you alluded to in your question that it's heat in the moment, excitement. Um, yeah, you know, she she was kind of giving it back to her what she had done to somebody else. Um, and I think that Angel Reese actually took offense uh, to how she did it to a fellow conference team that they played. Yeah. Um, because she alluded to that. So I think that she took offense to the way that they, that they beat South Carolina. And she was like, if I get the chance, I'm going to give it back to her. 
that's all I think it was. Um, I don't think there's any animosity in it. And uh, I think, as with many things in our culture and media, it just got blown way out of proportion. And we see what happens. What are your thoughts uh, on I'll it? I'll just say this. I thought it was very hypocritical to people during the South yeah, Carolina-Iowa game. They didn't have any issue with Caitlin Clark standing inside the three-point line while the girl in South Carolina stood outside the arc with the ball and she just waved her off like, I'm not guarding you, you can't shoot. Nobody, I seen nobody mm-hmm. have an issue with that, but they had an issue with this. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to make it about race. I'm not going to make it about anything, but be consistent. That's all I'm going to say. Be consistent with your energy. Yeah, you um, gotta have the same energy when yeah, you're talking. About I actually think I actually think it's more about people just whining about their team, not the the team that they wanted to win or felt like should have won. Being in their emotions, running to social media real quick, talking emotionally, and uh, that's what you get. You get responses that yeah, are inconsistent and hypocritical. And, just and what it is. Here's my thing. <clears throat> that's a great point. And, and here's my thing, as well. At the end of the day, you go back to the players. Did Caitlin Clark say anything about it? That it was wrong? Did she, she complain about it? She said the opposite. She exactly. came out and said there should be no you know, reprimanding of Angel Reese for what she said and her actions at the end of that game. So Exactly. Because um, she knows that, you know, she does, she yeah, does she knows, the same she knows stuff. She she does the same stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. So kudos for, to her for actually saying that. But, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, like, let them be kids. And they're kids. Like, come on, man. It's like... It's like the whole we want to penalize celebrations when I, and we, you know, Major League Baseball, the old heads like if you flip a bat, you know, you're a you're gonna get thrown at next time because uh, you're a dirty player and all this other such and such, like, come on, man. Yeah, and he, and even with the small <laughs> chance that it was a publicity stunt when Caitlin Clark went on and said, you know, she shouldn't be held accountable for that, even if it was a publicity stunt, I'm still happy that she did it. I'm still happy mm-hmm. that she did it. Absolutely. N O N J B Sports Pedigree, y'all. Another one in the books. There we go. We thank you, as always, for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Continue to uh, spread the love. You know, share this with folks you might maybe find it interesting, maybe haven't heard it before, and uh, check us out on social media. Uh, we're out there on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. Email is no.jb.sportspedigree at gmail.com. We appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. Check it. We keep pushing forward when the lights dim. The flame still burns when the night ends. So it's time to get animated promptly. My passion's connotated as anger. Wrongly, since I'm as real as it gets, I won't take that. Might spew a couple of words I won't take back. I'll be the thug who seems to bring charm. Check my skin in the U.S. I'm seen as that regardless. Docile and harmless. Emblematic guinea pigs. Submit to control all the people in the city did. Silly kids only listen to that. It's strength in numbers to them. To me, it's how you attack. <laughs> Sometimes I think that I'm great. Then I stumble. It's better to be lucky than good. Keeps you humble. I'm hands on in my approach. So when I fumble, I turn over to the most high. Therefore, I'll never crumble. Tough. Gotta get started to get ahead. Conduct stoic. They know I'm not acting scared. I'm the type they feel they have to replace. Demonizing the face in my black voice and masculine traits like it's a problem. Don't fear delusional types. Mentally locked in, but still in tune with the hype. Whole models about deception. I catch a trend and go the other way. You can call it an interception. What's popular tends to reveal what's going down. Standing back. With a scope watching from across town The guidance from above is what I view as profound So when I see they really care, that's when I'm coming around